This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? I'm well, Chad. What's up with you? Uh, it's end of the work week. We're recording on a Friday today, which is a little different, but it's it's kind of nice to know I don't have to like do anything tomorrow. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, let me tell you what I'm doing tonight, because I think it's really entertaining. So. Obviously, this weekend is the premiere of Avengers Endgame. Yeah. And I am going to a screening tonight at four in the morning. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. My roommate and I did not buy tickets opening day uh, when they they first went to sale because the internet broke. (laughs) And then we just didn't get around to buy tickets for a few days or more like a couple of weeks, honestly. And so last week, we're like, oh, well, we want to see it opening weekend. So we looked and we wanted good seats, too. And I was like, hey, this theater has a 4 a.m. showing and it's not full, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going at 4 a.m. tonight. We're going to just chill out in the evening and then we're going to to wake up and go to the movie at four. It'll be done by like 730 or eight because it's three plus hours long. And then we're going to go to get breakfast. I was going to ask if you were going to sleep before. And wake up early, if we, or if you were going to stay up, but I should have known better. I know you. Uh, yeah. You're going to stay up. <laughs> I'll probably stay up. I might get a nap in there somewhere, but yeah. I've got other plans tonight, too, so who knows? <laughs> well, let's start so you can nap. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> we did get a new email. I'm not entirely sure of this guy's name. Uh, I, I'm not going to read the email out loud, but it has a couple possible names in there, so I'm just going to call you Peter. So, Peter. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it is Peter. Confirmed. Peter, thank you for emailing us, and we will get back to you soon. (laughs) And uh, let's just dive in, I guess. So our first episode is the Halloween episode for season eight. It is called Spooked. It aired on October 27th of 2011, was directed by the show's longtime director of photography, Randall Einhorn, and was written by Ellie Kemper's sister, Carrie Kemper. Erin, with Gabe's help, throws a Halloween party at the office that's out of her comfort zone in order to please both Andy and Robert California. Pam and Jim argue about the existence of ghosts, and Robert gets to know the employees better in order to tell a personalized horror story. I, quick aside, I I love that uh, Ellie Kemper's episodes tend to focus so much, or Carrie Kemper's episodes tend to focus so much on her sister. Yeah. Like, this is an Erin focused episode. Uh, yeah. written by Aaron's sister. So that's great. So family supporting each other. Yeah. Aaron doesn't get too many episodes about herself. And I feel like the majority of them so far have been by Carrie. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, the episode starts off. Andy has gotten a text from Robert. Uh, he says he's looking forward to the Halloween party and that his expectations are high. Which, I mean, Katie, if I told you that I was going to your wedding in October... Mm-hmm. and I had high expectations. Would you freak out and worry about pleasing me specifically? No. I mean, it would be a weird <laughs> comment, and I'd be like, I be. mean, I hope you have a good time, but I'm not going to change my life for you, Chad. <laughs> it would be uncomfortable, but like, it's my party, so... You'll cry if you enjoy. want to. Because I'll cry if I want to, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Andy does not take it that way. Andy uh, freaks out, kind of. Um, he says he, he got a text from Broccoli Rob. It said, boo, scared me. And then I got this text from Robert California, looking forward to your Halloween party, expectations are high. He said, scared the blank out of me. <laughs> He's, it freaks him. It, it just, I mean, Robert 
he does not mean it to be taken as seriously as it did, but I mean, that's Andy for you. He's still working on that first impression five episodes into the season. And I mean, when they first, when Robert first shows up with his son, Bert, who we meet, Robert was probably fine with the more childish party. He he made a couple of comments about some of the decorations and he seemed to be having a good time about it. Uh, I mean, the skeleton dance even uh, from Gabe and Toby and Kelly, he's delighted by that. He, it's such a simple thing. It's such an innocent thing. And he he's having a great time with it. So Robert would have been fine with whatever they put together. It's just, it's a comment. Okay. Yeah. It's a comment, Andy. It doesn't have to be taken so seriously, but seriously, he takes it. And that leads to him hurting people's opinions, namely Aaron, because he had tasked Aaron uh, with being in charge of this Halloween party rather than any sort of formal party planning committee. He trusted his friend, his confidant. He's, he's been pretty open with Robert even about how he feels about Aaron and how close they are as friends. And yet, because Aaron didn't reach this level of expectation Aaron thinks that Robert has, he sidelines her and says, listen, the, 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 the professional party planners are going to take over now. You, you had your shot. And it, he's really not considering her feelings anymore. Aaron, who's already feeling vulnerable before really any of this happens, she's already feeling weird about Andy. She's feeling vulnerable about his feelings towards her. Uh, she feels inferior in a lot of ways. She confides in Pam, uh, kind of out of the blue. She says, that Andy, so hot and cold. One day he's asking me to fax documents, and then the next it's like, I want Pam to do it. Who cares what Aaron thinks? I am confident that Andy isn't considering faxing a document to be any sort of statement about her effectiveness in the office, but that's how she's taking it. She, she's already feeling pretty, I don't know, sensitive to Andy's actions. And then he sees her totally normal, I think, for an office. You know, it's a little kitty, but Halloween's often a little kitty. And Halloween decorations are up. I mean, skeletons and ghosts and pumpkins, and that's kind of what you expect. And that was not enough for Andy. And it probably would have been any other day, but Robert's coming in. Yeah, and, that's, that's what yeah. gets me, is Andy changing his mind about her running the party. It really hurts her feelings because she saw this as an opportunity to impress him or to please him. And knowing how close the two of them are, she probably thought that she was putting together the perfect party for Andy, only to yeah. find that apparently she was wrong because Andy's expectations are no longer Andy's expectations. It's what Andy thinks Robert's expectations are. And so that's where it comes into play. Aaron thought she knew him, and now he's, he's sort of turning against her. And she had said earlier in the episode as well, when they talk about all the nice things about dating a coworker, they don't mention one of the best parts. After you're done dating, you still get to work together every single day, which is, of course, incredibly bittersweet and sort of tongue-in-cheek. It just says something about how she feels about Andy, that she's trying so hard, that her feelings are so hurt when he does enlist additional help, and then leading her to eventually even ask Gabe to make the, the party more adult. And we know her feelings for Gabe and how, how uncomfortable he makes her. Andy has sent Angela and Phyllis in to help with the party, and Aaron is upset by that, as, as we mentioned. And she goes to ask Andy why he thought that she needed help, if it had to do with her specifically or what. And he said, he, he didn't say anything. He said, I'd like to talk to you about it at the end of the day. 
and he really won't give her any more information than that. So she's totally unnerved. Is it me? Does he hate me? Does he love me? Does is it just my party planning skills? I don't know what it is. I don't know. Ugh, you know, and so she's just very, yeah, very unnerved. And so then she goes to Gabe, who is absolutely thrilled to be helping her. I think he's thrilled for two reasons. One, he's talking to Aaron, who he likes. And two, he gets to make this party more adult, more creepy and sexy. And ugh, and that's right up Gabe's alley is this <laughs> like creepiness of, of, of the party that he immediately has this idea and he won't tell Aaron what it is, which concerns her because Gabe's odd, to put it nicely. And um, he provides this film, these, uh, the cinema of the unsettling. It's, or it's, a, it's a film in that genre. And it does not go over well. Ro uh, Robert is not pleased. And now this all falls on Aaron's shoulders, even though this was not her idea. This was Gabe's idea, but it's her party. And she okayed it without seeing what it was. And now she's just, she's a stress ball and it gets worse and worse. And she tries to, okay, you don't want creepy. You want sexy. Let's play pecker poker. <laughs> like She's just, she doesn't know what they want. And she's trying really hard. She's trying so hard. And which leads to a meeting in Andy's office where Robert says, you know, if you didn't know what Andy's expectations of you were, then you could have just asked. Asking is a very easy thing to do. Hint, hint, Andy. <laughs> Not that Robert meant it as an aside to Andy as well, but I mean, it, it definitely works both ways, as these things often do in the, uh, the office. And that leads to the reveal that it's really not about any sort of misunderstanding about professional expectations. It's the misunderstanding between their personal relationship. And Robert says, oh, I can understand, I can see now that this is no longer something that I need to meddle with. This is no longer something that I have a hand in. You two, talk it out. And so, yeah, Aaron has pretty big feelings for Andy again, but Andy then reveals, Aaron, don't you know that I've been dating somebody? And it's not even like I've been on two dates with her. I've been on 31 dates with her. That's like, if, conservatively speaking, if they went on one date a week, that's still more than six months. Okay, yeah. if they did one every two weeks, that's more than a year. So Andy's been with this, whoever this is, for a while now in any case, however you cut it. Minimum a few months. Yeah, like, minimum. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe they've gone on like two a week at some point, but still, I mean, it's a long time. That's a lot of dates. That's a lot of time spent with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. And Erin, I mean, she tries to take it in stride. It's clear that she's disappointed, but she, she says kind of false cheerily, let me know when you get to 40. You know, she's, she's trying to be the supportive friend, but she, she is upset because she did want to have that chance with Andy, and it appears that's no longer there. And that's mostly the end of their story until we get Robert, um, who has been, during the day, collecting stories from people, collecting fears, collecting just information, and, and essentially, yes, fears on the employees to, at the end of the day, create this personalized horror story that I think is meant to bring people together. I think it is because it's, it's about, hey, if you don't do this in Andy and Aaron's instance, if you don't make up, you know, this is what could happen to you. Um, it was a weird way of doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think that was probably his intent. Uh, and so after this, this horror story that he tells at the end of the episode, we see 
Aaron and Andy hugging and um, presumably they have talked about something. It, it's not a romantic hug. I don't believe it's just friendship. And Aaron looks sad and happy. And yeah, she's she's working with her ex who she's still very much having feelings for. Mm-hmm. And other people in that sort of montage during Robert's final talking head, uh, we see Ryan comforting and embracing Kelly. She had ex- uh, expressed to Robert that her greatest fear was dying alone. And so it's, it's sweet that Ryan, her boyfriend of, I, I, I sort of struggle to say boyfriend, but they've been together in some capacity yeah. <laughs> for a long time. And so he's comforting her. No, you're not alone, at least not right now. Uh, and Jim and Pam have had this sort of back and forth, fun little argument throughout the episode. And so they're seen walking out, holding hands. It's, it's, it's forgotten in the moment. And so it, it is nice. It, you're right. It is strange that Robert did this sort of thing, but I don't think his intent was necessarily to bring people together. I think it's just like, I think it's a shtick, you know, mm. it's like, yeah, because his, his son seemed to be in on the joke too. Uh, he, the way he laughed at it. It's just like, Oh, this is what dad does every Halloween, scare a new batch of people with personalized horror stories. Right. And I mean, it's a monologue, a long monologue of Robert or of uh, James Spader talking, which is just nice to listen to anyways. Right. <laughs> I like James Spader. Very much. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's very strange. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I don't think we need to. But no. it's, it's lengthy and it's worth it, it's, it's entertaining. Maybe we can mention some of the fears, though. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I have it written down here. So Creed mentioned that he's afraid of snakes. So Robert worked that in. Daryl's afraid of being buried alive. Kevin is afraid of mummies, and of course, in Robert's uh, speech, in his story, he lists them as sarcophagi, which Kevin does not know what that is, and so Robert has to clarify, it's a mummy. Yeah. (laughs) Kelly, as you said, is afraid of dying alone. Jim and Pam are afraid, or he surmises that they are afraid of not getting past arguments like Mm -hmm. this ghost one, so he works that in. He says something about being lost in imaginary worlds. That was for Dwight, who's been playing video games all day. He says something about high expectations and quitting the choir. (laughs) Stuff like that um, was meant for Andy. And then not speaking your truth, not speaking your mind, that was for Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really interesting targeted questioning. Like it, It was the most we'd seen Robert trying to get to know people rather than just like, being their boss and right. it was a perfect day for it i mean it was basically an all-day party kind of situation and uh it's it's just him getting to know them and yeah it was for a somewhat malicious intent uh in the end but it was nice that he was socializing in some capacity with his employees and as i mentioned he did bring his son bert uh who has an interest in hurricanes and he's as strange as his father in some ways and he butts heads with dwight uh, Dwight is dressed as a character from the game StarCraft named Kerrigan. And Bert makes fun of him for this because Kerrigan is a woman. And he, he doesn't pull any punches in making fun of Dwight. And Dwight really doesn't pull any punches in returning the favor. So they have this long back and forth where it's antagonistic at first. And then it eventually turns into a mutual respect. And they do end up playing StarCraft together in the office on Dwight's computer and on Jim's computer, much to Jim's dismay, trying to get work done. And that eventually leads to Dwight convincing Bert to go up to Toby and 
quote, fire him <laughs> uh, as a prank. Or is it a prank? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, does the CEO's son have any power in controlling any aspect of the company? Toby doesn't know. Gabe doesn't seem to know. So at least in Toby's eye, he's, he's unsure what his status at Dunder Mifflin is at the end of the episode. Probably that's it for character moments. But before we move into funny moments, maybe we should talk about some of the costumes we've seen. So Andy is dressed as a construction worker. Aaron, I like this one, is Wendy from Wendy's. Very cute. Kevin and Daryl are players from the Miami Heat. And Jim has been looped into doing that as well, though he didn't want to. Dwight, as you said, is Kerrigan from StarCraft. He is misunderstood as a Jamaican zombie woman and as Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) Kelly, Toby, and Gabe are skeletons. When Robert asks Kelly if they plan to match, Kelly says, Toby and I did. (laughs) Pam is a kangaroo. Of course, she's pregnant, so it's a play on that. Oscar is an Oscar liar wiener. Oscar is his first name. Liar. He's got a name tag with former representative wiener and then a cell phone taped to his crotch, which is referring to the Anthony Wiener uh, sexting scandals in early 2011. Mm Mm-hmm. And Creed is dressed as a man from the Middle East, very tastefully. Dunderpedia even pegged him as Osama bin Laden, uh, ah. which would have been right on time when Osama was killed. Yeah. So topical, a couple yes. of topical costumes. Oh, did you mention Ryan as Jesse Pinkman? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's great. That's like the perfect Ryan costume. I think that's his best one, honestly. Yeah. It suits him. <laughs> the other small character kind of ish thing that we can talk about that we can use to transition into funny moments is the argument between Pam and Jim. Yeah. Uh, In the Halloween spirit, Pam tells the story of the time where she worked at the supposedly haunted Banshee pub and saw quote the man in black. And she believes that it's a real ghost. And Jim overhears the story and he just cannot fathom that his wife believes in ghosts and he tries to help her explain it away logically. Was it like trickery in the lights or maybe you were just so primed to see it and then boom, there it was. She says, nope, it was an actual ghost. And so later he's teasing her. He says, uh, I, I thought we could maybe watch this cool new movie tonight. Uh, you in a movie mood? I've heard of this documentary that we should check out. She says, is it called Ghostbusters? She says, it's called Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. She calls out his joke before he says it and he still thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> She's not amused, though, and so she draws a picture of a hand flipping the bird at him, (laughs) and that's really all that happens in the context of the episode until we see them holding hands on their way out. Issues resolved. Uh, Oh, well, I guess there is the the quote about what Pam would say to Cece if she were to find or to imagine a ghost under her bed or in her closet or whatever, and Pam says, I won't scare our daughter but I also won't lie to her. (laughs) (laughs) This actually sparked a really fun and interesting discussion with my fiance. We were talking about, Mm. I I, had watched this episode and I said, okay, do you ever feel like 10 years down the line, we're going to have a conversation about something we've never talked about before. And you're going to learn something about me or me about you that we have just somehow not discovered yet. Mm. And uh, that was, yeah, sparked by this because they've, they have one kid, they're pregnant with their second Mm-hmm. They know each other pretty well, and there's always one thing that you just haven't <laughs> seemed to learn about the other one yet, so right, <laughs> something to look forward to. So funny moments. Cold open. Andy wants to pre-approve all Halloween costumes this year for some reason. His rules are, I believe, don't be offensive, don't be cliche, and don't take the first two rules too, too seriously. 
So Angela is a cat. Surprise, surprise. Stanley is a chef, or as Andy thinks, chef from South Park. Nope, just a chef. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> is the gorilla from The Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And Ke- Kevin, when telling Andy about his costume, spoils that the gorilla sacrifices his life. And Andy didn't know this about this movie and vetoes his costume because he didn't know about that and got mad. Phyllis just has lingerie and bunny ears. So. No. Uh, no. Not even a costume, necessarily. Andy says, someone's already called that. And Kevin has a gorilla suit you can borrow. <laughs> Ma- <laughs> Meredith and Kelly both want to be Kate Middleton in a, in a wedding dress. Kelly has a realistic, expensive-looking dress costume, and Meredith has taped a white t-shirt to a white skirt. These are the same. Authentic. (laughs) Kelly says, look, I stayed up all night, and I watched that GD wedding, and then I came to work, and I made everyone else watch it all day. Meredith wasn't even here. Meredith says, that's because I was actually there. And so she pulls out a cell phone video. You hear her shouting, you're the people's princess. Diana was nothing. (laughs) And Andy says, hey, wait, I-, I thought you were at your sister's funeral. Mary said, no, I actually only said my sister's funeral is this weekend. Didn't say I'd be there. And then she has this classic Meredith talking head, which is, why is it such a shock that I follow the royal story? Warms my heart. Think about them two kids doing it. Gross. Gross, yeah. Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, his costume gets misrecognized for a number of reasons. One, because it's an obscure costume that not many people in the office would know. But also because Toby, he has to tell him the same thing every Halloween. He says that Dwight cannot bring weapons into the office. And every year, uh, Dwight says the same thing, that as soon as he gets his weapons back, he's going to kill Toby. And Toby says, but here I am at Thanksgiving, you know, alive. I'm a lucky turkey. lucky to be alive i mean you shouldn't have to really be thankful for not being killed because of a halloween costume but he is anyway when robert first walks in with his son uh bert says can i use a computer i need to check a hurricane robert says sure use this one and he's at jim's desk and so he just sits him down at jim's desk and jim who's over at the copier just looks over and makes a face he makes a jim face and andy just like shushes him from across the room silently. Nope, nope, don't say anything. This is Robert. This is his son. He gets what he wants. <laughs> and then Robert, uh, so we mentioned the Andy and Aaron conversation with Robert in Andy's office. And it becomes clear pretty quickly that this is about their feelings, really, and not about work problems. And Robert recognizes this and he says, oh, this doesn't seem to be my business. And he steps away and you think he's going to leave Andy's office to let them talk. But instead, he just takes a seat and watches. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of look at him like, oh, you're just gonna. okay." And they try to keep talking. And they even say like, oh, this must be uncomfortable for you. I'm, I'm sorry, as a ploy to make him leave. And Robert says, I'm never uncomfortable. <laughs> and they just, <laughs> oh, okay, I guess we're going to finish this here. <laughs> and he tries, he starts to interject once or twice, uh, but he, he holds himself back. And then whenever Aaron has left, and it's just Robert and Andy, Robert then says, I should go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, now, sure, yes. Please. <laughs> <laughs> when Daryl and Kevin walk into the office and... They, they're trying to get Jim to wear his basketball jersey. Jim, finally, okay, fine, I'll put it on. 
So he has a talking head. He says, I know, I know, I know. But Daryl and Kevin needed a third. They bought me this jersey. I said no. Kevin started crying. So I am Chris Bosh. <laughs> <laughs> Another Robert one. He has those intense small talks and they haven't stopped yet. And he approaches Kelly and Toby um, and asks how they are. Kelly says, fine. Toby says, great. Robert notices the difference there. And, and he, he kind of narrows in on Kelly. He says, just fine, Kelly. Everything okay? Are you feeling fulfilled in your life? And she says, I guess. Oh, no uncertainty. So he says, you guess. Is there something you want that you don't have? She says, I try not to think about it. And he just, he just zeroes in. He just won't take anything besides, I'm fantastic. She says, I try not to think about it. He says, because it's too terrifying to imagine. Now we're cooking. What is it, Kelly? What is this great fear of yours? She says, never marrying. <laughs> like, my goodness. He's just, <laughs> this is the worst small talk ever. Cutthroat. Yeah, right? Yes, dying alone. That's very scary. And how are you, Toby? Toby, through almost tears, says, oh, great. <laughs> please don't. It's like, please do not question me. Please don't psychoanalyze me. <laughs> I have a lot going on up here, and I don't need you in there. <laughs> Daryl is on Jim's side about Pam normally being a rational person, and he agrees with Jim that Pam believing in ghosts is a little weird. Pam says, wait, hold on a minute. How is this any weirder? Then Jim not letting me wash his Eagles jersey during the playoffs. Jim gets really defensive. He says, careful. Whoa. First of all, it's not like I think that's going to help the Eagles win. <laughs> no, this is just a bunch of people participating in a collective thing that maybe the Eagles will hear about and want to play better. <laughs> that's not a thing, Jim. Kevin, uh, as I mentioned, is scared of mummies. He <laughs> says he's scared of things that are real, like serial killers or kidnappers. He doesn't get afraid of things that don't exist, like ghosts or mummies. Oscar says, well, mummies are real. There are mummies in museums. And Kevin just says, yeah, prank. <laughs> Robert says, it's true. They've been preserved for thousands of years. They're all over. You'll see them in lots of museums. And Kevin just has a talking head. He's like, why would museums put mummies in them? <laughs> why? He, like, shudders as he's taking a breath. <laughs> <laughs> Why? don't they know <laughs> and then during robert's uh monologue he says for they were mummies he goes no <laughs> oh that's great i love that when aaron learns that andy is dating somebody she's talking with phyllis her sort of pseudo mom at the office uh even though that has been debunked at this point phyllis randomly asks is she asian that matters. Aaron says, I don't know. She's from somewhere, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Maybe <laughs> from the forest. <laughs> Phyllis says, the forest? Did Andy say his girlfriend's from the forest? Aaron says, I don't know, Phyllis. Maybe she's from the city. Those are the two places where people live, after <laughs> all, the forest or the city. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. I love that. Creed, I mentioned Creed's fear was snakes. He is at the party and he's at the food table and, and he's trying to reach for some food, but there's a plastic snake on the table. Now it's a regular toy snake. It doesn't look terribly realistic, but Robert disagrees. He says, looks terribly real, doesn't it, Creed? Creed lying. I mean, he's shaking. He can't get past the snake. He says, no. Robert asks, are you afraid of snakes? Creed says, you don't live as long as I have without a healthy fear of snakes, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. 
something that I think a lot of people may not have seen unless you were looking for it specifically. Gabe is obviously very thin and very tall, and his skeleton costume has two pelvises because he had to put two costumes together in order to fit him. <laughs> so if you're not looking not for that, that, you may miss that. It, it's pre- it's pretty great. He's he's got a double pelvis skeleton. <laughs> I didn't see that. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you know it's it's not funny, but how creepy is Gabe's Cinema of the Unsettling video? Oh I mean, the gross stuff aside. What's with Oscar's grandmother randomly being in there? At least Oscar says it looks like his grandmother. And then all of a sudden Stanley is in there. And this is being filmed from the backseat of Stanley's car. Like, how does he get that? And does that mean that Gabe compiled this whole thing? It's just really strange and creepy. And Gabe, no. Yeah, I got the impression that he did compile this video, which is, I mean, A, very time consuming. Mm-hmm. which means he probably had this ahead of time and ahead of the party. And it's just a bunch of weird, uncomfortable and creepy shots. And why would you have this? And why? Yeah. Uh, yeah and we bad. didn't even see the whole video either. No. So who knows what else was in there? So moving on to deleted scenes, we learn that Bert, Robert's son, is dressed as a zombie from The Walking Dead and explains to Dwight that it's a show. Dwight says, of course <laughs> it's a show. I, I know that. He has like a thousand people over every week to watch it. He says, we all kind of hate it, though. (laughs) (laughs) When Bert asks Dwight what what his favorite character is, Dwight says, the city of Atlanta. (laughs) I'm assuming the show is based in Atlanta, right? I think it's, I've actually never seen it, but I think it's filmed in Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out the difference. Let's see. It is from, they're, they're from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Oh, okay. I looked it up. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know which, I don't watch The Walking Dead either. It's not my genre, yeah. but, uh, it, I didn't know if it was going to be, if it was a joke about the setting of the show being in Atlanta or the filming being in Atlanta because Atlanta is like the filming hotspot nowadays. Yeah. There's another debate over Pam's belief in ghosts and this one Robert steps into and Meredith had just said that she believed in ghosts too. Robert says, have you actually seen one? Meredith says, okay, listen to this story. I've seen and banged one. I met him in a bar, right? There's something weird about him. He doesn't smell right. His clothes are all tattered and dirty and from another age. Anyways, we end up back at my place and we go at it all night. And Oscar says, Meredith, don't. (laughs) Robert steps in and says, no, no, no. I'm very comfortable with all things sexual. Continue. (laughs) She says, I wake up the next morning. All my stuff's gone. Whole house turned over. No trace. You tell me what happened. Robert just pauses, considers it for a second, then offers, have you considered the possibility that you slept with a drifter? She pauses again and says, he didn't smell like a drifter. (laughs) Yes, smell is the the, the tell-all of every identifying factor of a person. And the the certainty with with which she said it, like, she's probably had sex with a drifter knowingly. (laughs) Many drifters, apparently. (laughs) And then the last one, there were only three deleted scenes for this episode, mm-hmm. was more ghost talk, more ghost discussion. Stanley asks, how could ghosts be fake if everyone agrees on what they look like? And Oscar agrees with him. He says, every culture has this trope of a ghost, so there must be some sort of phenomenon. Reed asks Pam if it was him that she saw all those years <laughs> ago. He seems very confidential about this and like it's a real possibility. And Pam says no. 
Jim offers, but that would make more sense, though, <laughs> to have seen Creed. It's funny when, when Oscar's the one who speaks up and says, clearly there's, there's some sort of real phenomenon out there. Jim speaks up and says, Oscar, how are you on this side? <laughs> <laughs> of all the logical people. Well, that is the first episode. So moving on to Doomsday. It aired November 3rd, 2011, directed by Troy Miller and written by Daniel Chun. Robert is tired of mistakes happening at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, and he tasks Andy with getting rid of them. As Andy's number two, Dwight steps in with something he calls an accountability booster, with consequences so severe that everyone else calls it a doomsday device. The day first starts as a desperate attempt at making no mistakes and devolves into a mad effort of preventing Robert from seeing the email that will lose everyone their jobs. This one has a bit more bulk to the episode than, uh, than Spooked. The episode really centers around Dwight here. There's a bit of Andy discomfort with Robert. He still doesn't get him. But really, here, this is Dwight's self-awareness and self-unsure uh, of his role in this office. We do learn that he's been made Andy's number two. But that's not... We know Dwight. That's not good enough. and. He has his talking head. He says, last night I dreamed that the number two was the most valued number in the world. The vice president had all the power. Athletes fought for silver medals. Women were considered the best gender. Mm. And stadiums, yeah, ouch. And stadiums <laughs> of fans shouted, we're number two. As with all my dreams, I'm guessing it was about my fear of immigrants. <laughs> okay. He recognizes deeply that instead of being, hey, I'm number two in the office, he's just feeling really sorry for himself that he's not number one in the office. And that's, that's where all this is coming from. Yeah, there's still a depressive element here. Uh, we saw that a couple episodes ago as well when he was filling all of his time with fighting classes and meditation to the point where he wasn't doing anything except those things plus working. So Dwight is still struggling with the fact that he was not given the job or really even considered for the job because of his own actions. And that probably leads to his depression a little bit more is that he knows it's kind of his fault i am sometimes torn when thinking about this sometimes it seems really clear one way or the other uh but i'm also torn whether this idea dwight has for an account accountability booster is really genuine like does he really think that people will improve if they don't have a safety net as he says or is he really just looking to screw andy but if that's the case, wouldn't he also therefore screw himself? So I, I don't really know what exactly to consider from Dwight here. But in any case, he's 100% committed to it for the bulk of the episode and allowing this to happen and allowing people to lose their jobs, which is a bummer because it's like he's at the point where he's so bitter about not getting this job that he doesn't care about the well-being of the people he's worked with for years. He says, good luck finding a new job, idiots. I'll make sure to write you a glowing reference. Glowingly negative. I think I've always taken this as his statement of, if this were my office, it would be this efficient. We wouldn't need this accountability booster, this doomsday device. But this is Andy's office, and look how inefficient it is. I don't know. Uh, but the doomsday device itself, so what it is, is if, if the branch makes five mistakes in one day, which he seems confident that they won't, but I don't know. Uh, if they make five mistakes in one day, an automatic email will be sent to Robert containing last year's consultant's report, which recommended that the branch be shut down. Also, every negative email that anybody had ever sent about Robert would also get sent to him. So they definitely have some motivation to not make these mistakes. 
And of course, the office does make these five mistakes in one day pretty early on, one of which was intentional because they weren't sure that this was actually a real device or if Dwight was just trying to scare them. But sure enough, it's real and they make four more mistakes. But the email doesn't go out until five. So they have some time to try to convince Dwight to stop the device, but he's not really keen to do that. And, you know, Andy is too easily influenced by sort of like Michael, others' opinion of him, especially since he's still trying to prove himself as manager. And he's been able to prove to prove himself as manager a couple of times, but he he's still a little overly trusting of Dwight in this circumstance. And he's therefore manipulated by Dwight into installing this accountability booster. Uh, so a lot of this is on Andy for just allowing Dwight to assert himself so strongly into the situation. Part of me thinks about when Dwight was able to manipulate Jim when he was co-manager along with Michael into the the Employee of the Month award and how he was able to rig that in order to make Jim look bad. So that's one one thing that sort of leans me towards Dwight always expected this to fail. Uh, but again, I don't ex- I don't know what I don't know how he would think that he's immune to the fallout. But anyways, they they, they make the the mistakes. They're trying to shut things down. They're guessing passwords. They can't get into it. So their last resorts in order to save their jobs, as the, the, the way they see it, is Aaron, Pam, Kevin, Andy go to Shroot Farms, where Dwight has left for the day to spend the uh, to, to relax, to get some work done at Shroot Farms, to, to go and maybe appease him into shutting this down. And Jim is tasked with going to find Robert in order to, if this does go out, to somehow delete it from his phone or keep Robert from seeing it or reading it or something. So that's the the last part of the episode. And while we get a, a funny sequence of scenes from Jim <laughs> attempting to play squash with Robert, the others are spending a nice evening with with Dwight at Shroot Farms. And Pam sort of takes the charge here. Uh, Andy is kind of desperate. He's trying to to push everything towards conversation about the doomsday device. And Pam steers it away from the doomsday device. She says, listen, I think we just need to spend time with Dwight. I think we just need to show him that we care about him, show him that we're, we're capable of showing him that we're, we appreciate him and his, his work here. And then after he sees that we care, then he will turn it off without us having to say anything. And so that, that's, that's where their focus is at the end of the episode. And thankfully, they eventually are successful. Pam, as you said, takes the lead here. The others, Andy specifically, really, really wants to try to convince Dwight or talk to him about the device. And Pam is emphatically steering the conversation away from that. And when we get to Shoot Farms, Dwight is digging a huge hole for a horse grave. and. Pam offers their help. They spend the afternoon making small talk. By the time everyone leaves, they don't really know where Dwight's head is. But as they're pulling away, Pam gets a text from Jim. Robert has not received any email under Jim's eyes. So Dwight has disabled the device and he texts Pam that. And um, we see Dwight go and retrieve a hat that the group gave him. He had buried it in the hole when he was digging this grave and when they leave we see him retrieve that hat and clean it and he wears it on his front porch and he has this talking head he says they're not my favorite people in the world i wouldn't even call them friends 
They come over here, eat my pie, dig the crappiest horse grave you've ever seen. God, I'm going to have to work with them forever, aren't I? <laughs> and it's sweet, and I I don't quite get it. And in fact, it's my uh, it's it's my discussion topic because I just don't understand it really. Um, where his head is at this time. Well, I'll say that this scene was surprisingly emotional for me this time watching it. Uh, there were there were a lot of small elements of this episode I didn't really remember uh, for one reason or another. But I was really emotional watching this because, specifically because of the connection to the cap. Uh, the, the cap itself is probably something they bought at like a gas station on the way. It's not tied to anything that's familiar to them. It's got some sort of logo on it that's not Dunder Mifflin. It's not anything else. We don't see Dwight being sentimental often. And even now, he saved his sentimentality for a private moment. But we see in him going to collect this cap that he had shown them that he didn't care enough about to just toss in the dirt. Uh, after seeing him retrieve it, he wears it and enjoys time relaxing on the porch while wearing it. It, it. it shows that the relationship he has with these people is meaningful to him, even more than his desire to take the job. And so I, I, I just, I don't know, listening to him say, you know, they're not my favorite, but I guess I'm going to have to work with them forever, aren't I? Meaning maybe his, his time trying to sabotage any of them is over because he does care about them. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the office, we've got this Gabe plotline. Gabe and Daryl have both uh, seen this new woman in the warehouse. Her name is Val. And they both have crushes on her. Now, Gabe is not as smooth as Daryl here, so, which is not surprising at all. Gabe goes so far as to file a new workplace relationship document with Toby, or at least he tries to, before he admits to Toby that they're not actually seeing each other. But man, when we start, I don't want bureaucracy slowing me down, he says. He just is totally taken with Val, and he's convinced that they're going to date very quickly and, and very fervently. He's very excited by this. And Gabe notices that Daryl also has this crush on Val, so he spends some time in the warehouse making fun of Daryl, specifically about his weight. Gabe says in a talking head, I sense that Val enjoys a good put-down, considering that's the only thing I know about her, which he doesn't know it about her. I will be milking that hard. And he just is making a fool of himself in front of all these guys, and they are just standing there laughing at him. And Daryl's able to play as a fool, too, when Gabe pulls out a $100 bill to, to get everybody's coffee. He says, uh... And I don't want any of that caramel soy latte crap. And you think he, he might continue with, I want it, nice black coffee. You know, like, it's like he's trying to, to shut away from the, quote, girly drinks in order for the more manly one. He's like, no, I'll have a decaf frappuccino. Right. It's like not the direction you would have expected him to go with that. But he, he's trying to buy everybody's coffee and he's trying to get Daryl to be like his pack mule and go get it for him and for, or for them. And Daryl plays him and says, you know what? Val, I think you should come with me because I'm going to need the extra hands. She says, that's a good idea. <laughs> and Gabe's just sitting there like, ouch, that sucked. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the way I expected that to go. It's the way smarter move because he actually gets to spend time with Val rather than making a fool of himself trying to flash money in her face. It's just... Right. <laughs> and, and Gabe's probably going to get a caramel soy latte out of it because of how, how much right. of a punk he was trying to be. And when Val and Daryl come back with the coffee... He oh what a douchebag. He says, You're welcome as she's holding her coffee. Yeah. Without her actually saying thank you, or whether even she was going to say thank you, 
Like, it's not required. Uh, and then he creepily invites her on a date, not to a normal place for normal people things, to a cemetery to drink wine. It's, it's gross. Like, no, Gabe, nobody wants to do your creepy, weird things for a first date. Nobody, uh, he's, ugh. It's, yeah. it's just, no. When Val has, at least she has a good reason. I mean, she clearly does not like Gabe. She's been muffling laughter the whole day. But she has a good excuse. She says, as a matter of policy, I don't date coworkers, but thanks. Daryl overhears this and is clearly bummed because he is also a coworker. <laughs> Probably doesn't gross Val out as much as Gabe does, but he hears that she doesn't date coworkers, and and he ends uh, the day a little bit bummed. Yeah. Oh, and it's also super gross that Gabe offers to quit so that he wouldn't be a coworker uh, anymore, and then they'd go on a date. You've just met. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is awful. But they had a whole conversation about Mondays. Yeah, <laughs> Mondays suck. <laughs> this reminds me of Andy's crush on. Uh, on Stanley's client. Yeah, I remember. With the one, two, three, Julia? four. Stan- Julia, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I met an angel, like, we're going to get married. Okay, but you just, you just met. No, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, calm down. Slow your roll. Yep. Well, let's go into the funny moments. Uh, in the cold open, Andy has started his own <laughs> end of the workday tradition of uh, playing Closing Time by Semisonic out on the speakers in the office and also loudly obnoxiously singing along to it while carrying around a towel like he's a bartender at a closing bar. He says, every office needs an end of the day tradition, something to tell you the day is over, you know, aside from the clock saying five o'clock. Uh, otherwise, you go home and the night just feels like more day. It's weird. That's not how that works. Nobody <laughs> cares if there's a closing song or closing tradition. Uh, like I said, the clock hitting five is tradition enough for me. Uh, <laughs> But he, he's strutting around the office. Everyone's trying to still wrap up their day's work before they head out themselves. And Jim is like on the phone. He's having to repeat himself. And he says, oh, my boss is singing closing time. Maybe that's what you're hearing. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's not even shying at this away from customers. He's like, yeah, my boss is an idiot. <laughs> he can't shut up so I can make my sales calls. Right. And Pam, Pam tries to appease Andy. I'll try and sing along a little bit. But she says, you know. I've heard the song 105 times during Andy's 105 days as manager so far, and I still don't know the words because she doesn't care. And it, I mean, 105 times, and he's been manager 105 days, so he started this ASAP. I feel like this was in his back pocket, and he was like, if I was ever manager, I'm going to do this every day, and he did. And it's such a Michael Scott song choice, too, because it yeah. has no relevance to a workday. It's like Michael choosing Running on Ice by Billy Joel for the training sequence in Threat Level Midnight. Simply because it's a training sequence that happens in an ice hockey rink, and the song is called Running on Ice, but it has no relevance to actually being on ice. Neither does closing time have anything to do with the paper company closing at five. But anyways, uh, Andy is discouraged by everyone's lack of interest and participation in his tradition. He says, you know, I try and start fun office traditions, but no one sings along, so no traditions. But then Stanley <laughs> enters the room and he's happily singing along. And he tells us in a talking head that he'd never heard the song before and he didn't care for it after he did. But the song means that it's time to go home. So now it's his favorite song. And so he and Andy duet together for a moment before Stanley drops it and just says, goodbye. <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> and Andy's just super happy that somebody likes his tradition. Even if it's not for the tradition itself. 
Yeah. <laughs> Even says, uh, I had never heard that song before, and once I heard it, I did not care for it, but that means it's time to go home, so now it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, uh, as, as I said, he threatens to send the negative emails that people have written about Robert, and we get to read some of those. He says, Robert's favorite songs, Creep by TLC, Creep by Radiohead. That was from Jim. <laughs> there is, there's no way he hasn't strangled at least one stripper. That was Oscar. Yikes. He eats his yogurt like he's punishing it for disappointing him. P.S. We should kill him. That was Kelly. <laughs> so, yeah, people uh, seem to have a general consensus on Robert's creepiness. When Robert is initially confronting Andy about the counting error that resulted in somebody getting an order for free, uh, he says, yeah, we'll blame it on Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Uh, they're both Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> And then when Dwight is talking about his doomsday device, his accountability booster, he says, have I not been a reliable number two? And he says, do not go there. You are the deuce I never want to drop. <laughs> no, Andy, grow, oh. stop. <laughs> this might be my favorite Dwight talking head uh, so far of season eight. He says, they're making me out to be a Bond villain. I like to think of myself as a brilliant scientist who will stop at nothing to remake the world. like." Not Dr. Moreau, someone good. Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll, not them. Dr. <laughs> Can't think of one. No, just all villains. And it's not the first time Dwight's had a fascination with villains. No. When Andy first talks to the office about Robert wanting to shut down mistakes and Dwight introducing his accountability booster, he says, hi, guys. I just wanted to say that you all have been doing amazing work and they're all really happy. They're pleased that their boss is proud of them. And then he also, he continues on. And I'd like to add that your work has been a little sloppy. <laughs> it's like, it's, there's a, a compliment sandwich thing that our, our friends in college used to do all the time because apparently I'm, I'm not going to go to that. Anyways, <laughs> it, it's obnoxious is what it is. But uh, Andy's trying the compliment sandwich and it's just not working here for him. The compliment sandwich doesn't work when you contradict the compliments. Right. Robert is berating Andy. Before an important discussion, Andy asks Robert who his favorite Iron Chef is, and Robert declines to respond. And then in the middle of the discussion, Andy starts nicknaming people in the office, and Robert's just had enough. He's trying to have this conversation. He says, Andrew, sometimes I feel like you don't know me at all. Then when they're done discussing, Robert returns the conversation to Iron Chef, and he says, and by the way, you can't have a favorite Iron Chef. It depends entirely on the secret ingredient. Sometimes I feel you don't know food at all. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a good Robert California impersonation. I know. Like, I, I can do the, the lower voice, but he, he's just got this lilt that it's really hard to mimic. And I really like it because it's just perfect. I feel you don't know food at all. At all. <laughs> I'm going to name drop here. And I told you this, uh, uh -huh. Chad, that. Not too long ago, James Spader was in my restaurant. Oh, you did, yeah. And he's, we get a lot of celebrities, we get a lot of whatever, um, and he's a fair, I mean, we see him every couple of months, and he is the chattiest guy. Oh my gosh, he's super, <laughs> super nice, but we'll be slammed busy, and when James Spader wants to talk, you just stand there and talk to him, because he's just <laughs> the chattiest guy, and you're like, I have a million other things to do, but... James Spader's talking at me and it's Robert California, so I'm going to listen. 
it's just really fun. But That's anyway, awesome. yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. When they're trying to guess the the password to the accountability booster account, Kelly says, you know, what what's Dwight's mother's name? And Jim says, it's Hedda. And he just looks so disappointed in himself for knowing this. <laughs> it's like uh, early season one or two when he knew that uh, Dwight. No, it was season two because it was the injury uh, when Dwight got the concussion and they're at the hospital. And Michael asks what Dwight's middle name is. And Jim just spurts out, it's Kurt. He's like, why do I know that? <laughs> <laughs> and then when they're trying to guess more of the uh, possible passwords to hack the computer. Stanley says, try Moe's one, two, three, four. Ryan says that Dwight would never be that obvious. Try something like Z64 dollar sign eight. That wasn't it because Jim types that in and Ryan says, not exactly that, Jim, something like that. <laughs> Jim says, okay. <laughs> and then Dwight's standing behind them. They just hear a voice say, how about Scrit and Strangler 666? So Jim types it in. But that was Dwight <laughs> suggesting it. And no, oh, that wasn't it. Ah, oh, man, try again. And he's just. <laughs> He's finally having a little bit of fun. We feel like we haven't seen him enjoy himself in a while. And even if it's at everyone's expense, it's kind of nice to see him smile again, you know? Yeah. You know, I wish that I had Jim's fake, oh, I totally know how to play squash confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's so bad and it's obvious how bad he is. And he still, he, he feigns something like he, he he pretends he knows what he's doing even though he completely does not and that whole sequence of interactions with robert at the fitness center he's so obviously digging through robert's uh phone when there's a notification that pops up because he's trying to find the email and then he does a high toss to robert in the hopes of breaking it when it, it drops and i mean it's just obvious that jim is desperate <laughs> but maybe even funnier is that at this point jim is now trapped into playing squash with Robert for who knows how long. And I can totally see Robert being the kind of guy to just keep Jim there until he knows that Jim understands squash. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's a lesson. (laughs) Which I was thinking about this. Jim has the most, I mean, everyone could hypothetically here lose their jobs, but Mm -hmm. Jim's job is the most risky on this day because he has to dig through the CEO's phone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's... I feel like he was voluntold to do that. He was, he didn't volunteer to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, yeah, I was thinking about how his job is a bit more difficult than uh, everyone else's. But It is funny that Robert doesn't ask him about snooping on his phone. Right. He just sort of, nope, nope, that's my phone you're holding, not, not yours. He just, <laughs> he doesn't seem too concerned. Yeah. There's a Gabe moment with, uh, with Val. He's just so into Val. And when he's talking to Toby about the inter-office relationship forms, Toby asks, well, do you know her last name yet? And Gabe says, Toby, I'm going to tell you her last name tomorrow because she's going to be screaming it tonight. No. Toby says, she's going to be screaming her own last name, huh? No. Gabe says, hey, watch it. Toby just <laughs> says, good luck, Gabe. <laughs> no. Yikes. At True Farms, they are eating some pie and just enjoying each other's company inside Dwight's house. And Aaron says, oh, Pam, you got something on your shirt. Pam says, oh, oh, well, nobody's perfect, right? Dwight says, did you just have a stroke, Pam? It's nobody's perfect. Nice stroke, Pam. Pam says, no, it's a jokey saying. Nobody's perfect. Like, I can't even say those words right. And Dwight considers it and he, he sort of smiles. He says, I hadn't heard that before. That's funny. And then later, as they're leaving, he says, Sive Drafley. 
<laughs> and Pam gives him a knowing wink. And Kevin says, wasn't it supposed to be drive safely? <laughs> and I, I love this because it's totally a re... Well, it becomes a reused joke. Not that this is the first time anybody's ever said this, but because of the Mike Schur connection in The Good Place, there's totally a moment where Kristen Bell's character uses the same joke, the whole Poe Buddy's nerfic thing. Yeah, and, and it's it like, gets the same kind of mm-hmm. delayed laughter. Yeah, it, it's so funny because of the Mike Schur connection. Even though Mike Schur didn't write this episode, and I don't think he even wrote that episode of The Good Place, but it has that connection. So Kevin is really trying his best to not make a mistake today as well. And there's a refund that needs to go out. And Kevin says that he's on it. Angela suggests that maybe she should handle it. Kevin, we, we really need you to focus on your project for today. Kevin says that apparently that a big client for this company needs to know the story of how paper gets made. So that's what he's working on today instead of, <laughs> you know, touching computers and numbers and orders that could possibly be messed up he's learning how paper gets made at the end of the day he still doesn't know where paper comes from he thinks that trees have sex so (laughs) the man tree Uh, (laughs) dwight when he's explaining how his accountability booster works he says five strikes in a day equals a home run one home run and you're out (laughs) and it cuts to jim and he's like that's not at all how that works When Dwight is inviting people in for water and then for lunch or dinner, he asks them to take off their shoes. And he sees Kevin. He goes, except for you, Kevin, your shoes stay on. (laughs) Good call. After after the incident in Niagara. Yes. It's so funny that Oscar is the one to make the fifth mistake dooming them all. uh, After him self-proclaiming that the one computer he trusts is his own brain because it's powered by Thai food and Spanish reds. and Later in the day, he's talking, uh, he says, why haven't we heard anything? It's 4.45. There's only 15 minutes left. Angela says, oh, now you can do math. (laughs) Where were you two hours ago, a beautiful mind? (laughs) When asked where Robert is, Aaron knows that he's either at some club where you either eat squash or play squash. Jim will try both, he says. (laughs) Mm, those, Those infamous squash eating clubs. Squash clubs. I love that when Dwight is denying or uh, refusing to shut down the accountability booster Aaron throws out this insult you're a real crumb bum you know that (laughs) like (laughs) it's such a child level insult you're a crumb bum (laughs) probably a big one for her too yeah probably and uh in that same scene Kelly is yelling at Dwight to shut down the machine shut it down shut it down and Aaron comes over and joins in but not joining in with words she just randomly yells at Dwight (laughs) while Kelly is saying words (laughs) Stanley uh, has saved a bottle of brandy for his last day at Dunder Mifflin, uh, and he guesses that's today. And so while he's drinking his brandy, he makes a return to a joke from the season premiere. I know how to save the company, everyone. Just write a petition, get everyone's signature, including our clients, march down to Florida, and shove it up your butt. (laughs) (laughs) Except everybody's less entertained by it this time around. My last one, Dwight says... The point is that we are now working in an environment where we have accountability to each other. I am confident that you guys are equal to the task. And Kelly speaks up and says, um, no, we're not. And you're a psycho who is ruining our lives. And Ryan says, we can't do this, Dwight. Nobody has any faith in the company or in the the branch in not being able to withhold making five mistakes. 
everyone knows that they absolutely will be making these mistakes today. That's, I would be shocked if they didn't. <laughs> Deleted scenes. Andy offers to smoke pipes with Robert during their meeting, and Robert suggests that they wait until they have something to smoke about. <laughs> A pretty short and sweet one. <laughs> Shut him right down. Yeah, and Andy tosses the, the pipes back out to Aaron, and it, like, scatters tobacco everywhere yeah. in the office. <laughs> And then Dwight asks Andy to let him sit in on the meeting so he can cover for him should Andy feel the need to, you know, urinate or to, to defecate. Uh, and he says, you know, I just thought with my increased responsibilities, I should be there. And he says, you know, I'm still trying to figure out the whole two-man bobsled thing, so let's hold back on the D-man for now. And so that's when Dwight goes back to his desk and waits. Gabe in the warehouse tells Daryl that he's going to hang out in the warehouse because he essentially owns this place. And he can do what he wants. Uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and then a talking head. There's this expression, bros before hoes. What that stands for is brothers before whores. And I don't buy that. I would throw any brother under the bus for any whore. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. No. <laughs> There's an extended scene with uh, Dwight and Andy's office talking about whether this is a good idea or not. Dwight said, just give me your support. Just give it to me for one day. And he says, how about I don't support you on this, but I support you on two things in the future? <laughs> and Dwight seemingly, like, reluctantly cedes. It's like he's genuinely disappointed by Andy not supporting him on this. And he says, you know, just, just let me know when you're going to take a chance on me. And, I mean, it's hard to tell if he's being genuine here. Uh, I, I don't know. I think if they'd left this in, it'd be a lot more in question. But either way, whether he's being serious or just trying to dupe Andy, Andy gives in after feeling bad. And that's when he goes out to the office and says, watch out or the account accountability booster will get you. Stanley says that this accountability booster sounds like a scare tactic. He doesn't think it's real. He thinks it's Y2K all over again. <laughs> and then he has a talking head. He says, I was all about the Y2K bug. Paid some guy to update his PCs. Threw out his microwave, canceled his plane tickets, sold his stocks, spent New Year's Eve in his basement with a gas mask on, and wearing a diaper. Uh, <laughs> wow. Not real. That was shocking. I, I wasn't really um, expecting Stanley to be that sort of paranoia, like, susceptible. But he, uh, he definitely was. But he, he's not going to fall forward again with this accountability booster, nope. it sounds like. Not anymore. Pam says, I don't know. This could be real. Dwight's good with computers. He fixed my computer once. Jim says, he didn't fix anything. He just turned your brightness up because it was all the way down. She said, well, you couldn't fix it. He says, I wasn't even there. He said, I have I had a business meeting in Stroudsburg. And he starts getting specific with exactly what he was wearing. And then a couple of deleted scenes later, they return to the conversation. And Pam says, well, this is what I remember. We stopped for a coffee at, at that bar. And you were wearing a blue shirt. which." I think is supposed to be a dig at the lack of variety in his wardrobe. Yeah. Because he he's says, always in blue that's low. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's low. It's like, it's like making a joke to Dwight about wearing mustard yellow. Yeah. Stanley's phone is ringing and he doesn't want to answer it until Dwight turns off the machine and they just stare at each other. But Stanley backs down and answers his phone and he's super cheery on the phone when he takes the call, but he just lowers it and curses at Dwight. Like he can't, he can't crack his shell. Dwight has a talking head. He says, just once, I'd like us all to cooperate on a plan that could get us all fired. <laughs> Lofty dreams. Yeah. And it, it's followed by Andy having a talking head. He says, you know, I'm, I'm through delegating. The buck stops here. If someone's going to ruin this office, I want it to be me. Like, that's not 
if someone ruins this office, I want them to do it without my permission. I don't want to even know about it. <laughs> and then later when they're at Dwight's house, Andy has another talking head. He says, well, here I go, delegating the fate of the office again, this time to Pam. If it works out, lesson learned. Give the right person the right task. If it doesn't work out, then no regrets. I wouldn't have done a single thing differently. <laughs> okay. Again, okay. <laughs> Andy's just like good at sitting on a fence. Yeah. Does, is, it, is it Andy who has a talking head about sitting on a fence like earlier in the series? Um, yes. Who is, sit I on a fence, say it's sitting him. on a fence. Uh, it was a deleted scene, a, wasn't it? Dwight knows how to sit on a fence. Oh, right. Okay. That's back in costume contest because it's, uh, I want you to think whatever you or I want to think mm. sit on a fence. Where is it? Let's just say I saw exactly what the two of you wanted me to see. Anyways, going on. <laughs> <laughs> when they show up at Shoot Farms, Andy asks what other things they should say to convince Dwight to shut down the device, the accountability booster. And Aaron says, maybe you should just say that it'll save electricity. <laughs> Sure. And he says, I like it, the eco angle. And so he writes it down. And Kevin speaks up. He says, I think I'm going to be good cop and bad cop. I'm going to be like crazy cop. Dwight Schrute, come out here with your hands up. And then he starts like sweat and cry. I'm so nervous. I feel like I'm going to say some, and he curses. And he says, you know, I'm not going to spin this. I don't think you should say anything. <laughs> Kevin says, yes, mysterious, silent guy. And Pam says, yes, starting now. We see Jim struggle with more squash, and Robert admits to him that he's done playing. This isn't enough of a challenge for him. He's beating Jim soundly, and Jim has to think on his feet. He's got 20 minutes to kill until five, and he, he doesn't know what to do. So he says, it's because you didn't realize that I was left-handed. <laughs> he switch rackets. He, he switches hands, which means this is about to get much worse. Okay, Wesley. <laughs> Eating with Dwight. Pam asks how the bed and breakfast is going. And this time Dwight doesn't correct her. Cause remember back uh, in season four, when it was introduced, he says, it's not a bed and breakfast. It's like something else. I don't remember what he said it was. Um, <clears throat> he says, it's going fine. It's mostly Chinese tourists because he put up a billboard in a specific place in China. And he, uh, Aaron then compliments the wallpaper and he thanks her. He says, you know, I just put it up. Pam echoes it and elbows Andy. And he says, yeah, it's very classic with a wink, like tuxedo with sneakers. And then Dwight says, Kevin, what do you think? And Kevin looks around for permission first to, before he, he says anything. And then he speaks up and says, it's not for me. There's a pause while everybody waits to see, is Dwight going to react negatively to Kevin saying he doesn't like the wallpaper? And then he just smiles. Dwight smiles. And he says, well, I guess it's not for everyone. <laughs> so if there was one person who was going to disagree with him, it was better that it was Kevin than anybody else. Because then he could use it as a Kevin is lesser than kind of argument. Pam has a talking head where she says, sometimes you just have to let someone know that they're being heard and valued. I don't get how everyone doesn't see that. Aww. Which is really sweet. <laughs> it is really sweet. Simple. As they are getting up to leave uh, Shroot Farms, Dwight says, aren't you guys forgetting something? And you think maybe he's going to mention the accountability booster. And then he holds up a piece of paper and he says, your bill. <laughs> so he's charging them for this meal and time spent at Shroot Farms. And Aaron says, okay, I'll take it. And so she starts looking at it and her face sort of falls. And uh, Dwight says, gratuities included. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that that one was cut out, even though it sort of makes me laugh uh, because it, it messes with your expectations. If it had been left in, I think it would have taken away from the nice moment of them just being coworkers, sharing an afternoon together outside of work. Yeah. 
Last one, Jim is trying to uh, play squash, still <laughs> unsuccessfully. And he apologizes. He says he's rusty. He hasn't played in a while. And Robert asks, well, weren't you just playing? You said you had a squash meeting with a client. And Jim says, yeah, but that guy sucked. <laughs> uh, I hate to see you win against him. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be an embarrassment. That's like uh, Kelly versus Pam ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> so my discussion topic for this, what made Pam recognize that Dwight just needed company rather than a talking to? Well, for one, she sits across from him. And so they spend a lot of time around each other. And maybe she can sense that there's something different about him. Or has been something different about him these last few months uh, after the the hiring of Andy and Robert, and so she's just sensitive to the fact that he's not himself, and he he has a sort of depressed air to him, and maybe she realizes that this is a ploy in order to gain something for himself, uh, and so Pam just being perceptive of all of that uh, after knowing Dwight for so long and sitting with Dwight for so long makes the effort to just say, hey, uh, we, we do care and we are more than just coworkers. And if you realize that, then maybe you'll, you'll have mercy on us. <laughs> right. That's sort of what I was thinking. She's also just an extremely empathetic, sympathetic person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that's, that's what she would want. And so she just wanted to relay that same courtesy to Dwight. Yeah, I always, I always relate things back to this, but... Back at business school, mm-hmm. Pam's art show, <laughs> she just wanted to be heard and valued, and Michael did that. And so she's just sort of like paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Boom. Well, uh, before we close off, that is all of our episode discussion, but we did get a couple voicemails. They were a little long, so we're not going to uh, play them, but they were both from Corey, and he was just wanting to talk to us about how much he likes Josh Groban as Walter Jr. and his is sort of comedy in Garden Party, and we agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he also wanted to talk about how he thinks, you know, maybe the the job of regional manager of regional manager at Dunder Mifflin Scranton really isn't difficult or overly demanding, and that's why Michael had so much free time, and that's why Robert had the speech about his job being super easy back in Garden Party as well. It's an interesting thought. Maybe it's not a super hard job, but who knows? Yeah. So thank you, Corey, for calling in. And you'll, uh, if anybody else wants to call in, we'll have that information for you in just a moment. Well, that brings us to the end of our official 85th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. If you would like to head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe, we would really appreciate you doing so. And you can email feedback and ideas or just say hi at workplacepod at gmail.com. If you would like to leave a voicemail to be heard on the show, you can call 93-PRETZ-DAY, P-R-E-T-Z, or 937-738-9329. Again, if you want to be heard on the show, uh, make sure it's under a minute. Have probably a question for us to answer. And if you don't want to be featured on the show, say that as well, and we will not do that. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. Uh, real quick, just want to point out that we are recording on Friday, April 26th, which is National Pretzel Day. Happy Pretzel Day, everybody. What? Not even kidding. I thought How I saw something about it that? online today. <laughs> and uh, so I looked it up just to confirm, and it is National Pretzel Day. It is Pretzel Day. So leave <laughs> so a voicemail in celebration, everybody. 9 3 Pretz. <laughs>
the best place to find me is on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And also my other podcast, Cinescope. You can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We do have a new Patreon supporter, Charles. Thank you, Charles, for your support and to all of our supporters. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com workplacepod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 85 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 86 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Pam's Replacement and Gettysburg. Bye, everybody. time I don't know the words either some other beginnings end no home and home and home <laughs> I know who I want to take me home take me home now I know who I want to take me home. Closing time. Tucker, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm messing with my stuff. <laughs>